All right, so I'm here today with uh, with Gabby Davis. Um, I'm I'm I don't know who am I right now. I'm your frerent, uh <laughs> friend slash parent. Um, so why don't we start out? Just uh, tell me who you are. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your parents and why you live in Kajabi. Um, I'm Gabby Davis. I'm 15 years old and I've lived in Kajabi since I was three. My dad was the medical director for two years and my mom was the med staff coordinator and we live here because god sent us here 10 years ago 12 yeah. years ago yeah. what else does your dad do he's a general surgeon and he does everything i mean <laughs> and he was the head of the residency program for a few years he trained chege misharia who was on last week's episode <laughs> absolutely um so I don't want to get too personal, but if you're okay sharing just in a nutshell, kind of what's what's going on with your family right now, that would probably be helpful. Um, my brother has a genetic heart mutation that we just found out about a month and a half ago or so. And um, in July, he spent two weeks in the hospital because of heart failure. And so my family's in America right now because of his health. Yep. And we, and it's probably good to note that Adam's doing well, um, but he's has somewhere maybe 20 or 25% heart function. Um, so Kajabi is at 7,500 feet. So it is probably not safe for him to be back here anytime soon. So, um, so our, our always our thoughts and prayers are with, with their whole family. What do you think is unique or special about Kajabi Hospital? Probably in the commitment that so much of the staff has because everybody here has made some sort of a sacrifice to be here. And whether that's part of their salary or they've moved across the ocean to be here, everybody's made a commitment to being here and that really creates a drive for better work that I think is somewhat unique to here. What are you proud of that your dad did during his time in Kajabi? Hmm. The way that he communicated with people, I think, was something that was people really respected him for, and I really respect him for, the way that he interacted with people and he listened to them, and he really tried to understand where they were coming from and what they were doing and what they wanted to see happen. This is kind of kind of a linked question to that one. Um, you have two of the best parents that I've ever met, um, and I, I have all sorts of reasons why I think they're amazing parents. <laughs> but I'm curious, as their child, what do you what do you think make um, what makes Rich and Stacy Davis extraordinary parents? They listen to us, and they really take into consideration what we have to say. And they've raised us in an environment where our voices matter and where they've shown us that our opinions actually do have value. And that's why I'm here is because I said, I want to be in Kajabi for this school year. And they said, okay, we'll make it happen. And I really respect them for not forcing me to decide what I want to do and supporting me in what I chose. Yeah. Tell people about your project that you were in 
that you and your dad were were working on um, over the past year. We don't know we don't know where it will go from here, but it's still just the idea of putting it out there is a pretty big deal for a for a fourteen year old. I read this book and it was all about um, missions in Africa and people who were starting things, um, even within their communities or moving places to start things. And I said to my dad, hey, what are we doing about domestic violence and child abuse and sexual assault here in Kajabi? And he said, you know, I don't really know. And the more we looked into it, the more we saw that it was a really flawed system and we wanted to change that and create a way that people felt like they could... um, get help here in Kajabi specifically and we just wanted to fix that system sort of yeah and so how far how far along did that go what were you working on and well we met with Childline Kenya which is a hotline for Kenyan citizens to use when they're having crises as a child and we um went to the uh gender violence recovery center in Naivasha and um, the CEO told us that we could hire a s- social worker and we were going to write that pro- that um, job description and the child abuse protocol this summer and then plans changed. So that was where we were at. Mm. Mm. And so really, what I guess what would need to happen now is just for somebody who's around and passionate about that to kind of pick up the work and yeah. get with it. Yeah, for sure. Mm. As what you know, what is and what isn't available for, I don't know, I guess gender violence and child abuse in Kenya? Well, so for child abuse, they've got this hotline that's run through the child's um, office, like the government child safety stuff. Um, But that's really, really changed the game before that. There wasn't a lot available. And so people kind of just... It was dealt with locally or it wasn't dealt with at all in a community because this is such a community-based culture in Kenya. And so it was more of a, if this if the community found out that something was happening, then they would deal with it. And um, for domestic violence, it was a lot of the same. Like the woman could go to the family and the family would protect her for a little while while they figured it out. But there's not a lot of options for people to get out and for a lot of people they feel like that's not even really safe just because of the culture yeah Hmm. so something that you've been struggling a lot with i guess struggling or wrestling with a lot has been trust right yep um trust in god what is it, you know, you're having your life turned upside down. What does it mean to trust God in the middle of that? Would that be a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that for me, it's really, the way I look at trust has really changed because I used to think of trust as I trust that God is going to do this for me. And over the past few months, I've had to realize that trust really means that God's going to be with me regardless of where I am whether that's here or in Los Angeles or wherever we end up next, that um, God's there too. Not He's not just here. And even if I don't really want to be in Los Angeles, God's going to be there with me and he's going to get us through that and through whatever comes next. Yeah. So what do you do? What do you do practically to cultivate that? I mean, how does that, 
you know, is it intellectual? Is it in your heart? And I don't know. And how do you connect those? Well, a lot of it has also been like, yeah, like practically surrendering every, all these things that I thought I had guaranteed, like this isn't what the plan is and trying to focus on things that God is already putting in place, like my mom's new job and my dad's um, opportunities for jobs and my sibling's school. Like all these things are God showing up even there, even though that's not what we wanted. And that's really helpful to see that and to look at that and focus on where, how God is being there, even if we don't want to be there. Hmm. So you're, I maybe shouldn't put you on the spot with this question because I don't know how far you've made it in the book, but you're reading um, Cheryl Sandberg's Plan B. I just started. <laughs> he just started. Um, so, but I mean, what is it like um, having to having to come up with a plan B? It's really hard, and I've honestly I've only read a couple chapters, but it's so far I relate like that feeling of I don't know a lot of the things she said have just really resonated with me in the way I feel. And it's hard to think of a plan B and it's really hard to focus on things that are going to be good instead of focusing on all the things that I'm going to miss out on. But that's what I'm trying to do is just focus on these are all these opportunities that I'm going to get to obtain instead of all the things that I'm not going to get to experience here that I thought I was going to get to experience. I don't know. Imagine you were talking to, talking to a missionary family who is getting ready to come here um what would you what would you advise them how would you what would you tell them you know is the most important to to get ready to to move overseas to Kajabi I'd say the most important thing about here is to remember that I don't know like we've been talking a lot about how People come here with their own ideas for what they want it to look like. And really, that's not how it works here because there already is a vision. And to just understand that um, Kajabi's vision is what's the most important and that's what we have to be furthering. And um, just coming with no expectations for how you want things to go because I've seen so many people leave because their expectations weren't what the reality was. And to just come with a heart to serve the Lord instead of a heart to further the Kajabi hospital in the way that you think it should be furthered. Yeah, what do you, um, what do you feel like the vision of, of Kajabi hospital is? <laughs> I know that's a tough question. Um, I think the vision of Kajabi hospital is to provide um, affordable health care in a way that um, shows who God is to people who maybe have never had an opportunity to see God and to really just be a place where people feel welcome and the people where people feel like they can really get help and but also for us to be internally focusing on Jesus and who he is and how we serve him so your mom was she was involved in several things um one of them was somali ministry um which for those who haven't pulled out a map um the northern border of kenya um lines up with somalia and 
usually somewhere around 20% of our patients at a given time are Somali um, ethnically. Now they may have a Kenyan citizenship now. Um, what was it like, I guess, for you being around, being around that ministry? I know you weren't necessarily directly involved in the hospital, but both of your parents really did a lot of work with that at various times. Yeah, well, I mean, that, I, that's the way I grew up in a place where my parents' end goal is to do what God tells them to, and that was what God was telling them to do. And it's hard to minister to people who don't have a heart for the words that you're trying to share. But they were never trying to force their beliefs on other people. They were just trying to live out what they believed, which I find very... I mean, I think that that's what true ministry should be about, is living what Jesus said, not forcing other people to uh, convert to Christianity. And the, yeah, that's, I think that's what they really tried to do is just pray for the, pray for the Somali people and minister to them in a way that showed Jesus. Yeah. Did I answer your question right? Yeah. Okay, good. And I mean, yeah. And I'm sure you probably have, you, you probably have some extra details that you could add, but I mean, I've, I've heard bits and pieces of interesting stories. Like at one point, your dad keeping camel's milk in the in the freezer. So if he had oh, yeah. a patient come in who was homesick, he could give him camel's milk. Yeah, he would go. We would go to the grocery store and be like, "Hey, can you get some camel's milk? I've got a Somali patient right now." And we just go to the cold section and buy some camel's milk. That actually happened frequently. And your dad, how many languages does he speak? He speaks French and Spanish and Swahili <laughs> and English, obviously. And um, he knows some basic Somali and... Kikuyu? Not, I mean, sort of. Yeah, yeah. He's, he doesn't like to say that he speaks Kikuyu because he doesn't really, but he can greet people in Kikuyu. He picks up languages very fast. That's amazing. Hmm. So, what do you want to do with your life? We have this conversation. I guess I should tell everyone. Um, you know, this changes once a week. I have no <laughs> idea what the answer is going to be. I may be setting Gabby up, but I guess okay. Well, maybe first would be better to say, you know, what are you involved in right now, and if. If you went along that path, maybe what could your life look like? Well, right now I'm involved in MUN. and What does that stand for? Model United Nations. And I really like it. And it's a lot of fun. And I don't know. I'm really interested in social justice, obviously, as I'm involved in all of this project at the hospital and all of this. And I really could see my my life going some way in that direction. I don't really know what I want to do. I just want to help people. That's my answer right now. So I have a daughter who's two years younger than you. Mm-hmm. Three years, two, you know, two and a half, half years, yep. which is crazy because she's, Madeline is at least a foot shorter than you. <laughs> um, but how do I be a good parent to her? Just listen to her, I guess. And when she has 
opinions, help her grow in those opinions instead of telling her what to think. That was like, I don't know, I didn't realize that this was so different, but my parents have never told us what to think. They have always let us believe what we want to think and made sure we thought through all of, all of the options, and that has really helped me grow in a way that has made me able to make my own choices and decisions in a wise way, I hope, I think. I don't know. I would say so. <laughs> um, Gabby, thank you. You're yeah. awesome. Thanks. Podcast guest number two. Appreciate you. <laughs>